You are listening to a message from City Church, located in Williamsport, Pennsylvania. For more information on City Church, or for additional resources, including service times, recommended readings, and additional audio, please visit citychurchpa.org. Thank you so much for coming and just uh, spending time worshiping the Lord Jesus. Uh, And if anything, um, uh, I just want to encourage you, um, uh, every single time we gather here, I notice that a lot of times we have a million things that are trying to vie for our attention. And our main thing is that we may be like, uh, we may be those people that just say, I just want to see Jesus today. I just want to touch Jesus. I want to get a glimpse of Jesus because if I can get a glimpse of who Jesus is, I know everything is going to be okay. I know everything is going to be okay. Um, I want to welcome you. And if you do not know me, my name is Raphael and I'm one of the elders here, uh, one of the pastors here. And uh, if you have your Bible, uh, would you open to Nehemiah? We are in chapter two this morning, uh, Nehemiah. And, uh, and we are looking at the life of Nehemiah and we're seeing the power of God uh, to rebuild, to redeem and to rescue his people. Uh, and I pray that as we look at this, you will get to see God for who he is. Uh, for who he is. And so uh, today in our passage that was read earlier on, uh, what we see is that uh, there's an opportunity that actually arises for Nehemiah, who's been praying and fasting for four to five months, and he's been praying, and he is now, an opportunity comes to present his case before uh, the king, and he then expresses his, his, his concerns before the king, and the king responds favorably, and Nehemiah credits his success uh, to the intervention of God. And that's really just like the bird's eye view of what's going on in this text. Uh, and, and if there's one idea that I want to impress in your heart uh, above everything, it's going to be this, that through prayer, God does more than we can ask or imagine. Amen? That through prayer, God does more than what you can, you and I can ask or imagine. And we see that God, we see God doing that in this text. And my hope is that you and I would be inspired in these past couple of weeks, ever since we started in January, we've been really zeroing in on prayer, uh, on prayer as something as the most important thing you and I can do. We, we hear in, in prayer, we have heard God gives us his word, he speaks to us, and in prayer we have now his ear where we can speak back to him. And and in the last two weeks we've seen, uh, ever since we started Nehemiah, we see Nehemiah look out, looks out in compassion to what's going on. Uh, his own people are in disgrace and his own people are going, through, uh, are going through just brokenness. And he looks out in compassion. And last week we looked at the fact that he looks up in dependence uh, to God and he adores God for who he is, uh, focuses on his character, and he looks inward in repentance. 
repentance. He goes before God in confession and he confesses before God uh, his own sins and his sins of his people. He returns to God, but he also looks back in gratitude. He looks at what God has said and he, what he has promised. And then we also look at him, him looking at what God has done and where he recites back to God that God, in your mighty hand, you have always been a God of rescue. And then we see him now looking forward in confidence where he says, God, would you give me favor before this man? And he's talking about, uh, he's talking about King Artaxerxes and he reveals the fact that he is actually, he has been situated through the workings of the sovereign God. He has been situated now to be cupbearer, to have a favorable position for him to be able to talk to the person who could now help him to actually restore the walls and the gates of Jerusalem and remove the shame that is going on. And so we have seen this going on. And today what we will see is that we will see the effects of faithful prayer, the effects of faithful prayer where he has prayed and he has walked through these things. And the first thing that I want you to see today is going to be this, that faithful prayer waits on the Lord. Faithful prayer waits on the Lord. And so after Nehemiah has fasted and prayed for a while, he waits for that opportunity to speak with the king. And then you see that in verse 4. He then comes in and he speaks to the king and he speaks to the king. He's doing his natural duties and he's waiting for the right moment. He doesn't just jump the gun and go and talk to the king right away. He's prayed for the favor to come in the last verse in, in, in Nehemiah chapter 1. But now we see during the month of Nisan, Nisan uh, he says on the 12th year of the king, Artaxerxes, uh, when wine was set before him, chances are that this is actually a feast. Just like we've seen in the book of Esther, there's a feast that's going on. Maybe the king has not been around and he actually gets called, hey, you're up now. You can now come and serve wine. And, and he says, I took wine and gave it to the king. I, have ne I had never been sad in his presence. He said, I'd never been sad. I was always cheaper when I was doing it. And why? Because it was very important. If you were the cupbearer and he would look at your countenance and he wanted to make sure that nobody has bribed you to actually poison him or, or anything. And so the king was very alert. He had never been, he had never been sad. But the overwhelming needs of his people and his city are actually crushing him at this moment. It's been a hundred days plus since he had heard the news and he's been praying and waiting for, for, for the opportunity. And he's, and he's been praying for a man of action, for an extrovert, for a man of who actually is a doer and who is actually just, who is an executor. You're going to see this in the whole book. He has just been waiting. It, it must have been so painful because a lot of times we are actually, you understand, you and I probably like, and a lot of us in this room, we like to do something about it, not just to wait and just wait for the right time. So we jump the gun a whole lot. But here we get to see, just like Andrew Murray says, the great secret of a right, of a right waiting upon God is to be brought down to other impotence, which is like, you, 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 you are at that point where you're like, God, 
if you do not move, I am powerless here. It's not going to be, I'm not going to make that first move. So we see him waiting. But for him here, we see waiting. Waiting time is not wasting time. Waiting time is not wasting time. He waits for the right time. He, he waits, and this is the time when the king throws, and, and the king notices his, he, he responds to his sadness. Look at verse 2. And the king said to me, why do you look sad? And, and when you are not sick, right, when you're not sick, and this is nothing but sadness of the heart. The king sees there's something going on with my servant. Why is it that you're looking sad? And it's in a feast. It's a setting there. It's actually they're celebrating. The month, of, the month of Nisan was actually the new year of that time. Everybody's celebrating at that time. But he looks across and he sees there's this one person who's actually sad. In a time of rejoicing, he's recognizing that he is depressed and the king is just noticing this detail and Nehemiah's behavior at this time his demeanor is uncharacteristic to who he is and here the king is asking why are you sad this is nothing but sadness of heart what is going on and we see in verse 2 there it says that and I was overwhelmed with fear and automatically, he's actually desperately afraid. Why? Because the king, the king is asking, because the king, King Darius later on, the King Darius before that had actually just, had, King Darius I had actually been poisoned by one of the people inside his court. And so he's actually maybe even, he's, he's nervous over the fact that maybe the king thinks I'm sad because someone has bribed me. And so, so, and he is sad at that moment. He is, he's overwhelmed with fear. And, but we see him gathering actually what? His courage to speak. And God grants him sufficient grace to be able to speak. And what he does is that he first of all affirms his loyalty. Look at verse 3. And I replied to the king, may the king live forever. King, I'm still all about you. I'm still loyal to who you are and what you're doing as ruling king. But then he gives the source of his sadness. Look at that. Why should I not be sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its, gate, its gates are being destroyed by fire? And so what he does is that he appeals to the very things that are very important to the king. The the The, the the burial of the dead was so important to the Persian culture and was so important. And so he appeals to that. He valued these things. The kings valued those things. And then we see him now. He gains the sympathy of the king. But all that, what we need to actually admire at this moment is the waiting of Nehemiah. Almost close to four to five months, he's been waiting for this opportunity. But so now the question is that when it comes to you and me and prayer, are we good at praying? And chances that you and I are good at praying, but chances is that, I know it for me, chances that you and I are not good at waiting. We could be good at calling upon him, 
but we're not good at actually waiting. A story is told about a lady who called American Airlines to reserve, uh, and he calls to the, 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 the front desk, and he calls, and he says, how long does it take to, to go from Dallas-Fort Worth to Frankfurt, Germany? And then the clerk says, uh, and, and the clerk said, hey, I'm just, just like, and as he's waiting for the time to kind of load uh, on the computer, he says, just a minute, and the, and the caller responds and says, thank you very much, and hangs up. And it just, and hangs up, because for him, he's like, oh, it's going to take a minute, and then just like, hangs up, and and the clerk is like, no, it's not going to take a minute. You just didn't wait enough for me to give you the time it's going to take. And a lot of us, usually when it comes to prayer, we expect, we impose on God our timetable on when he should answer prayer and we give up too quickly and then we then meet our own needs. We try then to jump the gun and waiting upon God is hard. One of the most, one of the instrument, instruments of grace to me has been my children. And my children, during our times of, uh, of, of family time, when we, when we family worship, and what we have done ever since, ever since, uh, just like ever since they were small, I've just been amazed at what the faith of a child looks like. Yes, your children can teach you so much more about what patience before the Lord looks like. And my children have taught me so much and what it looks like to wait upon God. You know how they've done it? From the time I remember when my father was not feeling well, and I would say, my father is not feeling well. Can we pray for for him. And lately it's been, it's been like, who's not feeling well? Nana, in, Nana in, in, in Indiana is not feeling well. Uh, what is Dada doing right now? He's working on uh, his book proposal and he's working on his book uh, and to be published. And then I say, hey guys, I'm nervous about this. I need God's favor. Could you pray that this comes through? And not only that, mama is taking an exam. This is what's happening. And then not only that, my sister-in-law is pregnant. This is what's going on. And you know what we do every single day? Hey guys, do we have anything to pray about? And they bring the same old things every single day and we pray about them and every single day we pray and we pray and what that convicts me about is the fact that like I always just pray about things once and then move on but I've just been amazed at how this is a posture of waiting of waiting and, and realizing God means to give good gifts to his children but we need to wait and it's been just like teaching me so much patience. And that's where, in fact, when we don't learn how to wait, what we do, we scatter horizontally and we try to find help in relationships. And we, we, this is actually like where, where we, we scatter and we go all across the board and we find it from people. We go to what we can do. We go to the bank. We try to actually find help horizontally. And sometimes if we don't find that help from there, we, we actually go down. 
We go down to, we go down, and where we go down, and that's where we find it, we try to help ourselves uh, in anxiety, and we try to help ourselves in addiction, or going, and we shop, and we try to make ourselves feel better. And what is what we're trying to do is that we're trying to meet our needs horizontally, and then also where we're descending down to the vices that we, you and I could descend to. But really, you and I were made to actually wade vertically first, to go before him. And this is what Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31, let me encourage you with this. It says, but those, but those, it means that some of them don't, but those who wade and trust in the Lord. Before that, before that, God has asked them in Isaiah chapter 40, to whom will you compare me with? An idol? To whom will you compare me? Who is it that has offered you help that you actually go and you try to wait and you wait for them? And he says, to whom will you compare me with? How can you say I've forgotten about your case? How can you say I've forgotten about you if I've covenanted with you, Jacob? And then here he says, but those who wait will renew their strength. Strength, and they will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not become weary. They will walk and not faint. And this is actually waiting on the Lord. And here what the prophet is saying, Isaiah is saying here, he's saying that he's calling you and I to, to have moments where we go before God with our prayer needs and we stop and we wait and we stop relying on ourselves and our plans and our schemes. And waiting here mean, means, means to, to move out of the way and wholly to trust and to rely on God and at the right right time, he is going to meet our needs according to his riches and his glory. Amen? And waiting on him means you trust him. Instead of seizing control, you trust him, he who is in control, and know that he who is in control has now pledged his love for you in Jesus. And then so therefore he's pledged to be your father. And he already knows what you need. And he knows when you need it. And he you then wait because in Jesus, every promise is yes and amen. And in Jesus, you have unsearchable riches in the gospel. So waiting means that if, he's, if it's not yes now, it means that he's actually doing a good thing. Even in the waiting, he's making me more and more like him. Sometimes it's in the waiting periods when he grows us the most. Amen? He exposes all the things that we tend to run to horizontally and run to uh, and, uh, that we descend to to try to look for help. And waiting exposes us and waiting helps us now to reach out to him and cling to the God that we love. Amen? That's what waiting does. Right. Love what Charles Spurgeon says. He says, we shall not grow weary on waiting on God if we remember how long and how graciously he once waited for us. Like we, we go back to the gospel, right? And in the midst of overwhelming fear, we know that he has not given us a spirit of fear, uh, but one of power, love, and a sound mind, as, as First Timothy and Second Timothy says. And but waiting, actively, and waiting on God, 
And the next thing I want you to see here is that faithful prayer does this. It doesn't just only wait. Faithful prayer actively trusts in God. Actively trust in God. And, and, and I want you to see here, before answering the king, it was essential to speak to someone else. It wasn't just I prayed, and then so then now, let me do my thing. Look at what he does. He, before making the request, and it says this in verse 4, it says, and the king asked me, what is your request? That moment comes when the king says, Give me your case. What's making you sad? Like, what is your request? I know you didn't come talk to me about destroyed gates. and, and what. what is your request at this moment? But the most beautiful thing there happens. And it says, it says, so I prayed to the God of heavens. Like, and this is, this, this is like, yeah, we've seen Nehemiah spend three, four months praying, four months to five months praying, right? But Nehemiah is just showing you also that prayer is not the thing that we do before. This is something we do even in the midst of this thing. Like he prays what I would call breath prayers. He prays what I would say instantaneous prayers. He prays right at that very moment. He humbly, silently prays and he needs God to guide his mind, to give him a poise of heart, to give him peace and to give him wisdom right in that moment. Right in that moment. And here we see the necessity of prayer. He prays before he goes forward. And this is like a split second. And he says like, I want to mention what happened. I was so overwhelmed with fear. And he said, what is your request? And I realized this was the moment. But I couldn't go forward unless I just like, I had to create a moment between me and the higher king, the king, the king beyond this king. And then I had to create that moment and where I can go before God. And we see here the immediate, the necessity of prayer. And he does not go forward without talking to the Lord. We see the immediacy of prayer. He doesn't need to say, King, hold on. Let me just go to my prayer closet for a second. Let me, I'll come back. Wait a minute. He's like, it's now or never. It's now or never. But he's like, oh, but my king is in the heavens. His ears are attentively listening to my prayers. And I can just literally say, Lord, help me. Give me the right words. And God will literally, at that moment, God opens a channel for him to be able to speak to the Lord. All right. It's beautiful. Right. The immediacy of prayer. You know, Bishop Francis Fenelon says this in, uh, in one of his letters. He says, he says you and I need to make, make use of, of chance moments. As when we are waiting for someone, traveling, standing in a queue, uh, for at such times it is easy to lift the heart to God and thereby gain fresh strength for the task ahead. He's like, you're standing in a queue. And all of a sudden, anxiety hits you and, and you realize, I, I don't have enough strength to take another step. I'm overwhelmed. Can you create a moment there? And he says this, Nehemiah would have, agree, would have agreed with, 17th century, with, 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 with this 17th century bishop here, where at the end of the day, it's like, yes, run to this other place where you can go and pray and for three to four to five months. But at this moment, 
If you and I, this is what Bishop Fenelon says, if you wait for convenient seasons to pray, you will run the risk of waiting forever. The less time one has, the more carefully it should be used. And sometimes it's going to be, I would just like, I love this. Sometimes it's going to be you driving to work. I know you didn't have enough time to do, to sit down and have your ideal time to read the Bible and pray. But you're so nervous about the whole day. God, would you help me? Those are also very powerful prayers, as you're going to get to see. Prayer needs to become natural for you and me. Because he has poured his spirit, according to Romans 8, he has poured his spirit through the work of Jesus. There is now therefore no condemnation. The, your sins are no longer a hindrance between you and God. There is now therefore no condemnation. And now he has poured his spirit in you, in which you cry, Abba, Father. As soon as anxiety picks up, you have even the one who is over the Be anxious for nothing, but in prayer... And supplication, make your request known to God. But the, the verse before that says that like, know that the Lord is at hand. He is with you, omnipresent, with you in the valley, with you at the mountaintop, with you wherever you are. If I make my bed in hell, even there you are there. This is our God. Prayer now needs to be natural. It's, it's the most intimate we can actually act, we can engage with God. Between one breath and another, we can be in audience with God. Right? And, and not only that, guys, this, this is, let me help you for a second. This can actually be very helpful when you're in the heat of argument with your husband or your wife. There are some of those things where it's like you know that the next word is not going to be savory. You know that you are about to, you are about to go on a, it, it's, it's wartime. You are about to go and, and, like, and one of you jumps on the other side of the bunker, the other one, and then before you know it, it's live ammo all across. But you could actually take a deep breath and say, Lord, help me. Give me words that are not harmful, but words that build, you, build up. God, would you help me to be, to be your witness even at this moment? Would you help me to love? Would you help me not to tear down my bride? Would you help me to lift her up like you did? Would you help me at this moment? Help me, Jesus. And you can make those prayers as you are talking right at that moment. And believe me, he will not disappoint. Parents, Right there, when you are watching your child and is doing, and like, and, and, and your child is literally just like at the peak of their rebellion, and you don't want to flood their, and, 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 and actually then at the end of the day, crush them and provoke them to anger, you can ask God, help me. And here, teenagers, right? Teenagers, and right where you feel like now you can, you, you, want, to, you want to reply your parents with, a certain, with, with, with certain words, and you know it's going to be rude. Children, when you know that you're no longer being kind to your siblings, you can stop at that moment and say, God, would you help me? And God never disappoints, right? And we see the effectiveness of prayer here, right? I love what Oswald Chambers says. It's not our trust that keeps us, but the God in whom we trust that keeps us. 
the God in whom we trust. God can help you, can help you to be obedient to your parents. And all you have to do is say, God, would you help me? God can help you, can help you. And here we see him requesting the king's help. And after he prays, he says, and he answers the king, if it pleases the king, if your servant has found favor with you, please send me to Judah and to the city where my ancestors are buried that I may rebuild it. And this is crazy a request. And he appeals to the king. So he makes, he gives him his thoughts. And the king asks us and he says, he asks him the question, hey, so, and he says that the king and the king with the queen were seated beside me. And they asked, how long will it take? And he's like, oh, you didn't ask more about that? And, and there's a reason why. Because in Ezra chapter 4, the king Scared of the fact that like Israel was so used, was so used to rebelling against any other kings. And Israel was so reputable on rebellion. In such a way in Ezra chapter 4, the king had stopped the building and the restoration of Jerusalem because he feared their rebellion. And he put an edict over that. And he said, let everything stop. So he knows what he's asking at this moment. This is something close to impossible because he's asking the king to go back on his word over something he stopped. You mean, it's, it's, almost, like, it's almost like the vice president saying, hey, can you, uh, this is what uh, me and Peter Swift were talking, and he was like, do you understand how, how crazy this is? This is like the, the vice president saying that like, hey, I want to go and I want to go help North Korea with restoring stuff. And, and the, this is because there were enemies like that. There were enemies like they were known for rebellion and all that. But I want you to kind of see the king says, how long will it take? And when will you return? And so I gave him a definite time. And it pleased the king to send me. And he's like, are you for real? Like, is this happening right now? But, but I want you to see also just like where Nehemiah just like amazes me in this. And he had planned for the dangerous journey as well. And he, and what is so amazing, this is why I said prayer actively trusts in God is not only just actively praying, even just we see, but we see a man who was, during the time he was waiting, he was also planning. He was also calculating. How long will it take? Say, okay, this is how long it's going to take. But not only that, like I know it's going to take a lot to get there. And he says, also, I also say to the king, if it pleases the king, can you see how humble he is before the king? Let me have the letters written to the governors of the west region, region west to Euphrates River so that they may grant safe passage until I reach Judah. And he knows that he might get attacked on the way. He might get mugged on the way. He knows that it might actually just be. And he asked for actually, and he asked to be escorted there. 
He's already calculated ahead. Uh, and he asked for the king, king's protect, provision and also protection. And look at this. He's asking for resources in verse 8. And let me have also a written, a written, like a letter written to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest. He has already calculated what it's going to take, what kind of wood it's going to take, right? So that he will give me timber to rebuild the gates at the temple, the temple's forest, fortress and the city wall and the, wall, the home that I will, I will live in. And so he needed all these things and he brings them before God. And that's what active trust actually looks like. What is it that God has put a burden on you about? Like if God was actually to grant you your pray, the prayers of the very things, are you involved not only just in, in praying and asking, asking for help, but also actively preparing for that? Because if he calls on, and then, so can you just imagine, if he was just drawing blanks at that moment, how long will it take? Uh, let me go calculate. How long will it? And if you knew the Persian kingdom at that time, you got audience with the king when the king wanted audience with you. It wasn't on the, uh, the other way around. And it was just like once in a lifetime, you would get an audience. And that's actually, Nehemiah is aware of that. He goes in the presence of God, in the presence of this, this king, very well prepared. He prays and he plans well. And both of them are actually also a trust in God. Right. And God has called you and me. And he has called you and me. To, to, to meet some needs, it, it might not be what Nehemiah is going through in repairing broken walls, but it might actually just be God has called you, basic needs, basic things that God has called you as a, as a father. But the question is that, are you dependent on God? Are you actively trusting in God? And then not only that, actively planning. What is it going to take for me to be a godly husband and a father? And then plunge yourself and then begin to do all the preparation. What, what did it take to be a godly wife? Are you actively praying and then investing the time? Has God called you to, to, to be a missionary? Are you actively praying and then also training? Has God called you to, to, to be a church planter in the, in the future? Are you actively praying and also preparing? Has God called you to be a chaplain? Has God called you to be, to be whatever it is that God has called you to be? Are you actively also investing time into that so that when he calls you, you are actively ready because you've trusted the one that is called and then you've also sought him to equip you in those things. A lot of times it's so easy to have a passion for something. And we know God is calling you to something. But yet, we forfeit the preparation of time so that now, when the time comes and that opportunity comes, we have what we call in, in leadership the failure of nerve, where you know you are called to that, but all of a sudden you choke. And all of a sudden you don't know how to do that because we forfeit the preparation time. Waiting time is preparation time. 
waiting time, as soon as God begins to press in your heart, then we begin to actually put ourselves in that trajectory where we begin to say, God, I sense this is how you've called me. You've placed a burden to disciple young ladies. What does it look like for me? You've placed a burden in me to change the world by doing this, whether it's actually going across the world and going and solving economic problems and all that. But what are you doing to actively trust in God, the one who calls and also invest? You've called me to be conformed to the image of your son. What am I doing now to actively invest in myself, constantly looking upon Jesus' face? A lot of times we wait, but we're not preparing. And that's where you and I need to pray and plan. And, and both of those, right, planning and being meticulous about what we need, that, that's not wrong. And that's actually like where God can look at you and say, well done, good and faithful servant. But sometimes it's actually not only just being faithful with the call, it's faithful with the, with the preparation part. And you and I know if you were trying to cook a meal, like a lot of times we don't cook a meal that is pleasant because we are weary of the preparation time. But yet the preparation time is what makes what? What makes actually a what? A great meal. The preparation time is actually what makes a great meal. And if you and I can actually then make sure that we are preparing... And as we are preparing, uh, we make sure that then we can now actually get to that time. I was talking to a restaurant owner this, uh, who just loves cooking uh, this week. And he gave me something I think would be a blessing. That just, uh, he says proper preparation. Think of five Ps. Proper preparation. And that preparation is actually prayer and what? And planning. Proper preparations. Preparation prevents poor performance. Proper, proper preparation prevents poor performance. That's all P's. You and I, right? That's what we need to do. What has God called you to do? And then every one of us in here, every one of us in God's kingdom, it's not, it's not a cruise liner where there are workers and there's, there's servants and there's actually what? Those that are, that, that are enjoying the cruise. We are like a naval ship. That God has blessed every one of us. And he has called us to do some things in the building of the church. And, and part of actually like, part of actually some of the preparation for you to be a godly husband, it might mean preparation by going into the word of God and letting it, you shake you out of actually maybe the excuses that you're actually putting not to perform as a husband, as a husband, not to perform as a wife. It's actually poor preparation. 
We're not diving deep into the word of God. We're not waiting on the Lord. And so therefore we start providing for ourselves and we start justifying, justifying. And, and I heard one preacher recently said, what strongholds are in our lives are lies that we tell ourselves that we actually use, that we end up actually defending in our lives because we have not done, we're not wanting God's word to even confront that. Here at City Church, we call them darling sins. And those darling sins that we don't want Jesus to touch. And but yet, they are the very things that actually end up actually choking you from actually fulfilling the call of God in your life. Amen? And we last see this one thing here, that faithful prayer glorifies the Lord. It glorifies the Lord when you pray and you wait, and you wait, and you wait, and you are so tempted to move, and you wait, and you wait, and at the right time, you humble yourself before the, 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 the Lord, and at the right time, He exalts you. What comes out of there is something beautiful. It's something beautiful that the answer is something that only you that you can only attribute to God because if you try to provide for yourself it's going to be just you taking the glory but there is something he does far much more than we could ask or think when we go before God faithful prayer glorifies the Lord and then here we see him and he says let me have let, he says this he says let me have this let me have that and then the last sentence there he says and the king granted my request. This is it right here. He says, the king granted my request. And guys, let me tell you this. I was so nervous and I just really could have just like melted right before him. I didn't have the courage. So I prayed to the sovereign God, the one who rules and is supreme over everything. But not only that, I just went and I just kind of gave him all the plans that I had before me. And I asked, and I asked for even above and beyond. And when I asked for above and beyond, he said yes. He said yes, and but don't get it twisted. It wasn't me that actually did all that. It wasn't me. For the gracious hand of my God was upon me. It was upon me. And I, I love actually the picture here. It's that like when we actually just don't wait on the Lord, we forfeit saying confidently like Hebrews 13 says, that he's saying confidently that the Lord is my helper. Right? When we're anxious and we try to provide, we forfeit that. Where you can now be able to say the Lord is my helper. But the beautiful thing here is that in verse earlier on in chapter 1, He's reciting before God what God had said. But he says, it was you with your mighty hand and your stretched outstretched arm that you rescued your people. And here he's saying, but you know what's so beautiful? Is that now I'm seeing that very hand that, that you stretched out to rescue your people in the old. God still does miracles. He did them back there. He said it. He promised. And He's doing it right now. And I just like, I, I, because it was nothing but grace. It was nothing that I could do. It was His gracious hand. I just did. I just asked and I depended. It was by grace I was saved so that there's no room for me to boast to boast and we see him here like saying this can only be God 
Are you kidding me? I know what's happening. The king has noticed. And, and not only that, I was overwhelmed and the king heard and he responded favorably. And I didn't try to bribe or negotiate and do all those things. I just laid my case and the king said yes. And the king said yes. This can only be God. Have you created moments in your life where you can have this can only be God moments in your life? What difficulties in your life have been where God is waiting to show himself strong, but you have forfeited and you, you, you forfeited the privilege that you have in prayer for God to show himself strong and you've gone and become sovereign over that situation? Have you created those and well, those moments when you are at the end of yourself? Those moments where you know God, what God's word has said about your obedience and now you don't see any other way. It is only by grace you are saved and it is only by grace you continue. It is by grace that you will finish the race if you can only depend. Only God can actually now, those moments, Consider it pure joy when you face those moments of trials and temptations. What about the trials in your marriage? Those are moments that if you, if you are having those trials in your marriage and this is the greatest thing that seeks to divide your marriage, those are only God moments. Only God can bring me up from this. Those are only God moments. Get out of the way and let him show up in there, in that grave. He's the only one with the power of resurrection that can bring to life what looks like it's dead. What other situations do you have? Is it addiction? Is that depression is that like whatever it is get out of the way i want to know christ and his what power of resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering it is only there where we get out of the way and we say i'm crucified with christ it is no longer i i know what i want to do but no i'm dead it is no longer i that is that lives but the life that i live now it is what by faith in him who died for me he rose again he has a great inheritance what I can provide for myself is nothing compared to the glory that is yet to revealed for me. Right? That's the, that's the gospel. That's the gospel. So, get out of the way. Get out of the way and let him do his thing. And we see Nehemiah doing that here. <laughs> I just love that. And Nehemiah was privy to this idea. Proverbs 21.1, the king's heart is like a channeled, is channeled water, like channeled water in the Lord's hand. And he directs it wherever he chooses. But not only that, he was so mindful that you can prepare and plan as much as you can. Listen to Proverbs 21 again. It says a horse, a horse is prepared for the day of battle. You can have the greatest plan, but it says, but victory comes from the Lord. Proverbs chapter 3 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not in your own understanding. Get out of the way in all your ways. And that's like, what are your ways? Everything you're doing, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Right. He will make your path straight. 
Psalm 16, it says, you make known to us the pathway of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. Nothing can give you joy than actually his presence. And at your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. What is it that's promising you? What are the false saviors that actually have promised you comfort, significance, and satisfaction, and security? And here we're being called to actually fire all those, right? Give glory to God. And giving glory to God sometimes is actually letting, creating those moments, not creating, yielding to those moments where we know there's nothing I can do and letting those moments be the only God can moments. And because why? Because it says what is impossible for man is possible for God. Right? So this is a call for you and I to recognize that everything is for his glory. That's what Romans chapter 11 says, for from him, for from him, he's the source of all things. And through him, he's the sustainer of all things, even you and I. And to him, he's the end of all things, are all things, right? For from him and through him and to him are all things. I know it can be so easy to try to secure your own future. And he says that if you are all about just creating those moments of saying, God, I want to live for your glory. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. And what's beautiful is that if you live for his glory and you begin to risk it all for his glory, that's what Nehemiah is doing here. He's saying, God, it is your glory. I wait for your glory. It is your glory. I, I actively trust that you're going to be glorified. It is your glory. And not only that, I am going to give you as much of the glory as... And at the end here, he's like, guys, it was not me. I got out of the way and God showed himself glorified. If you and I get out of the way and give even our lives for his glory... We will find this to be true. What John Piper said, we are most satisfied when God is most glorified. When God is most glorified, you and I find satisfaction. And that is what if the effects of effective prayer are that effective prayer waits on the Lord. And it actively trusts in the Lord. It, it prays and it plans. But then... What, what then should become exciting is that, God, I can't wait to see how you can turn this mourning to dancing, this sorrow to joy, because only you can. And that he has done in Jesus, and he continues to do. He continues to turn our mourning to dancing. And pray with me. Father, we come before you and we thank you. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. Thank you, Lord, for this word that you've left for us where, Lord, we're able to look and see you doing mighty things, moving your servant, Nehemiah, and at the same time, you getting glory out of that. I pray that, Lord, you would take everything that, Lord, 
that you've pressed into our hearts and that, Lord, you would begin to help us to respond to your word and to respond as into how then should we live as a result of seeing and to some you are teaching us how to wait. And I know that there are many of us in here that are tired of trying to meet their own needs. And Lord, to some, you're teaching us how to trust. And God, to some of us, Lord, we've been so full of where we've become the hero of our stories and we have taken all glory and credit but would you help us today to look back and to see that it has been nothing but you, no one but you, Lord, who deserves the glory out of our lives. Meet us where we are. Thank you that you don't leave us where we are. And that, Lord, you continually reveal yourself as the one who is faithful. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from City Church located in Williamsport, Pennsylvania. We hope God meets you where you are and doesn't leave you, but changes you through the work of His Son. For additional information, please visit citychurchpa.org.